0: Conservative for the world today. Have you noticed, since Joe Biden has been in office, our situation in our country has gotten progressively worse? The pandemic was bad enough. The left uses every crisis for power grabs. They are shameless about it. Joe Biden has opened our southern borders with his recorded on-TV invitation to come. He now says, don't come now. These serious problems are numerous, and we will be talking more about that at a later date. In the 80s, back when more people understood how this world actually worked, we used to say, it's the economy, stupid. We were talking to the bleeding-heart liberals at the time whose remedy for all the ills of the of the country and that of the world was to tax and spend. Tax and spend. Taking money from the people contributing to the country and giving it away to anybody and everybody so that they would be liked by them. Basically bullies. Stealing lunch money from hardworking nerds. Today the middle class is that hardworking nerd. And the bullies are in power at the moment. They're Democrats. They never change. They haven't changed since the inception of the Democrat Party. I'll venture to say they still believe in slavery. They are the party of the Ku Klux Klan. They are the party that voted against the civil rights, who now claim to champion the cause of black Americans. They are still up to the same old tricks. They have simply removed their hoods and pretend to be the friend of the minorities in America. Sadly, many minorities believe them. I, however, am not so gullible. Today, I speak with an economic expert, he is from Zambia, Africa. His name is Munyumba Matwale, and he is brilliant. He's an economist, and he's very young. He's an international economic expert. I heard of him from watching a show hosted by my friend, Felicity Joy. I love when I get to speak with someone with way more knowledge than I have on a subject so important. Today, on kathysright.com, it's about the economy, but we're not stupid. But we do have enough common sense to listen to someone well-versed on a subject, a very important subject. It's the economy. So this man makes me feel, well, I feel better educated for having spoken with him. And that's a good place to be. I just wanted to share his insight with the rest of America, because I think you'll find it fascinating. So welcome, Muniuba. We began our conversation discussing voter ID laws and the absurdity that, for some reason, the liberal left thinks it's racist to require a voter ID. I spoke with Munyumba about this subject, and he tells us, from his perspective, how they answered this in their country.
1: So I actually thought I would, um, I would actually make this a bit visual huh? because I thought, you know, cause most people, when I say we use two IDs to vote, yes. I thought I'd actually just show them you.
0: That's interesting. So,
1: so this is my national identity card.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So this is what I need to open bank accounts, anything. So this is the front part of it. Um, and that's just my face and my ID number.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: at the back, it's got like the information, like where, what my full name is, then it's got where I was born. It's got the name of my village, where I originate from. It's got my uh, what my name of my chief is, what district um, at the beginning. And then um, when I get that card, then I have to get this card. So this is just my regular ID card. Yes. Um, then I have to get this card, which is my voter registration card, um. which is now this is what I need to vote with as well. And it's got all my information such as what my name is, what my address is, and what polling station I have to vote at. So all that is there, what polling station, where I go to go and vote. And if I don't, I needed this mm-hmm. to get this, and then I need both of these. On election day, I have to present this, then I have to present this, then I can go in and vote.
0: Wow. So
1: Seven million of us did that. And we, we only had 45 days this year to all get our voters card. And about 7 million out of 9 million of us did it this year.
0: In wow. In 25 days. So that that completely busts the theory of, of, of Americans who say Black people can't get an ID.
1: <laughs> That's crazy. So the, so the question is how? How is that possible if we, who, and there are people in much worse like I can say, look, I'm privileged, but there are people who are literally in such dire situations mm-hmm. and still manage to get both of these identity cards um, for voting. So the question will always be, how is it tough to get this? If I can get this in two, in, it takes me uh, three hours in the morning to register mm-hmm. and then I have to go and collect it the very next day. And mm-hmm. then this took me a whole morning to get. Um, and we were managing to do it. Mm-hmm. So the question would be if anyone, and this is why whenever I say two IDs, people, people, people sometimes say, what do you mean? So this is why I wanted to, for the first time, show you that we actually use two identity cards to vote. And we've been doing that all the time we've been voting. I don't know
0: a single black person who doesn't have an ID. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous for anybody to think that that is a barrier to voting. Uh, for instance, to ask for no ID opens the door for all sorts of abuse. Because then a, you could go to two or three polls in a day. You could do all of those things and cheat. And that's the only reason that person wouldn't want us to have ID. That's if it. you
1: ask our people mm-hmm. whether we should have ID, we will tell you, no, we do not want a situation where there's no ID. Right. Because we know, because we, I think the other thing is that um, we also know elections can get stolen.
0: Mm-hmm. Not to
1: say that it happens all the time, but we've seen it here where our leaders have a lot more power than people think.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: able to do a lot of things with elections where it, it, you see the thing, the thing that you guys have uh, that helps you mm-hmm. is where elections are run state by state. Mm-hmm. So each state has its own independent authority that counts votes, tallies. There's a whole electoral college system. It's so independent. Our elections are effectively run by the judiciary mm-hmm. who are governed by the president. Oh. <laughs> so imagine the guy, the guy running the election has authority over the election.
0: Oh, that's, that's, not, that's kind of scary.
1: You see, so we've seen the dark side of elections. Mm-hmm. We've seen these things go south. We've seen, um, we've seen situations where people question ballots. We've seen where people, the validity of elections just vanishes. Uh, we've seen a situation, I think it was in Zimbabwe a couple of years ago, where, and Zimbabwe is our next door neighbor. Uh-huh. Where, where they they found a million dead people on the voter registration, and then on the other side of the fact that they also ended up finding uh, ballots already pre-stuffed, like they got to vote and found uh, pre pre what's it, pre-marked ballots already in there. Okay, so these are the things we've actually visualized and we've seen situations where people are not even allowed to campaign um, for because they're told no, it's a threat. It's, it's not good for society or things like oh, it's unsafe. You see, we, we have nations where, and this is what I warn people about: mm-hmm. don't go the route where you give your governments too much power, because eventually, what the government will do is the president will have direct control of the police, and that's when you know that you're in a nightmare situation. Because that's our country; mm-hmm. our presidents have direct control of the police. The president can tell the police what to do. So, what stops that president from saying, "Go and arrest my opposition," or "Go and"? Do, that's why opposition members get arrested so easily in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, because the presidents have absolute control of police, they have got control of the military, they have control of the voting system, and we have national media. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have national media which is controlled by uh, by by the authority as well. And then finally, you've got you've got the censorship bureaus effectively, which are controlled by the president. The president can say, I don't want the opposition to speak. I don't want that to happen. I don't want them to go on the national TV station. That's the power mm-hmm. that you that 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 the ones who are trying to pull towards socialism, they're not trying to help society. They're trying to concentrate power in the top office so that they can control it. But that's what you have to fight. A concentrated uh, power base means you can't stop them from doing anything and they can pass laws. I mean, I think last week, I think our president signed 20 laws last week. We're even trying to figure out, okay, what what did he sign? What was
0: the... Executive orders, but, and I, to this day, I do not believe that Joe Biden ran the most successful presidential campaign ever, came out of that hole three times, about, three times if we were lucky, and from that hole, he came out, babbled a few things, ran right back in, and... Somehow, that was the best campaign. More voters, they're saying, than ever in history. Come on.
1: Well, I mean, look, uh, statistically, you have to look at one thing did play in their favor. And you can question, obviously, I think, because even us, I asked people here, I said, okay, fine. Um, I know a lot of you don't want to question the election. I asked, okay, what about here? Mm-hmm. Would you be comfortable if our president just mailed ballots to everyone's house? And everyone just said, oh, oh no, no. Um, so I said, why, why do you think it's okay there? But, the, but what if our president said, okay, the coronavirus is happening, uh, I think everyone should vote from home, so I'm going to just mail ballots to people's houses, and I'm going to send the post office, who I have total control over, to go and collect the ballots for me you know that people would already wouldn't trust that um already people wouldn't trust it and people admittedly said yeah they wouldn't trust it their argument was trying to be no no but america's different there are <laughs> different systems i said corruption is corruption
0: corruption <laughs> it is can happen. until until uh, uh until within the last 10 years i didn't know how corrupt our government was. I mean, I was one of the main people pointing the finger at all these other countries. Look how corrupt they are. Look how corrupt the Ukraine you know, country is. Look how corrupt. And then I saw it here. And I saw how they were finagling everything, setting things up so that they could cheat. You can't tell No one can tell me that if they set things up so that they could cheat more easily, like harvesting votes, but they're not going to take advantage of that.
1: They're going to do it. I, 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 the thing is, though, they, like I said, unfortunately, there's a double argument to this. And just for being fair on this is one, mm-hmm. um, they did, they, they, there is a legitimate reason why more voters did come out. And it's also because of the youth vote. Most of the growth in vote numbers came from young people in America. Oh. Some of those swing states are a, bit, are a bit sketchy, but most of the number of votes that came up more from young voters you have to understand young people now are lazy uh they used to eat <laughs> they used to watching things on netflix they don't go to the movies so they don't leave their house much so something that could actually come to them and they learned this lesson i'll tell you where they learned it from it was the primaries mm-hmm. why did bernie sanders who had so much enthusiasm online get knocked out on the election because young voters didn't pitch up to vote during the primaries mm-hmm. so i think they read this situation very carefully and jumped on the first opportunity they could to mail, to mass mail ballots. It was to capture the young voters as well. So that's the that's the thing. However, you can't unfortunately validate everything because these were handled ballots, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. Uh, and the moment the chain of custody starts to get uh, a little bit a little bit creepy, then any question comes up. I think it is also incumbent on everyone to make sure that each citizen feels like the election. Was, was was correct. Yes. I did this in exactly Zambia, too. Uh, I voted in, 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 20, in 2015, mm-hmm. 2016. The candidate I want didn't win. But what I said was, I'm not going to, I said, I will accept the result simply because I want to try and respect my fellow citizens mm-hmm. who voted. That's the only reason I did it. Mm-hmm. I questioned certain things, but I, I was worried that an election is more about, um, for me, it's more about respecting my fellow citizens on the other side. Unfortunately, you guys are really, really, um, you guys are really ripped to the seams, like, like divided horrendously. Yes. So in as much as you want to extend that courtesy, you're not sure if you'll get it back. That's the problem. Um, we have it a little bit better because we don't, we're not too uh, aligned with, with each party. We're divided, mm-hmm. but it's, it's one of those things where people switch parties. Yes. Like in our country, people switch parties. Like once you're out of office, people just leave your party and, and that's it, they go to the next one.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: w- they're not really tied to the parties. they in America, it's a bit different. Like someone's a Democrat, they're a Democrat. Like they stay a Democrat. Like someone's a Republican, you're they stay right. a Republican.
0: They stay <laughs> so Dem- you- it's a Democrat. It's almost a tribalism thing because really, they stay Democrats whether they believe in the Democrat platform or not. Um, Many people in my family are that way, and they're very conservative people. But exactly, but they vote Democrat. I mean, I'll even ask you know my mom. I go, "Mom, you know what do you think about illegal immigration?" She goes, "Well, it shouldn't happen. They take jobs away from people who are here legally. Never mind that it was an illegal an illegal who who murdered my brother. Uh, those kind of things affect you, and they and they they." They ended up in jail. We, So my mother said, so we're still paying for them to eat in air-conditioned buildings. And it was, it was very hurtful. Uh, but no, the thing about that is he shouldn't have been here because he was here illegally. And we don't even know if he was deported when he got out of jail. And so...
1: Step into the world of power, loyalty
0: That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No bridges necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus
1: terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I, and I, I, could, I can, I, you know, the reason why I understand the illegal immigration debate mm-hmm. is because it's not that far from what happened in South Africa with Zimbabwe. Oh. Um, they they, they had this exact, there's a porous border between South Africa and Zimbabwe. When Zimbabwe collapsed, I think everyone knows about the big collapse of Zimbabwe when uh, their economy went down and they even had a 10 trillion note at one point because of hyper, hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. There's people of Zimbabwe started running across. Now, between Zimbabwe and South Africa is a national park where they're like wild animals, like mm-hmm. four-fledged wild animals, like lions and crocodiles and stuff. So the Zimbabwean people were basically escaping through some of those, those terrains just to get into South Africa. And they were getting thousands of people coming across their border every single day. Um, literally just thousands of Zimbabweans were coming across the border. They had a point where I think millions had eventually migrated there for cheap labor. Mm-hmm. Now, what started, what you started to see in, um, in South Africa was physical xenophobia. I'm not talking about you guys talking about building a wall. I'm talking about full-fledged fist beating people to death, anger and burning them. Okay. They were burning, these are black people who are burning black people, okay? Killing them. Because they 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 so I was I was asking my friends in South Africa, I said, what has gotten us to this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're fellow black people, and when you guys needed a country to run to you came to Zimbabwe South Africa. So he sat me down and he explained it to me. Mm-hmm. He said, when we go to work in the farming in the farming districts, Some of the local South Africans would stand on the side of the road waiting for work that day. And the the farmers would come and pick up workers at the beginning of every day, offer them a wage, and that's it. That's the kind of agreement they had. Whoever Mm -hmm. was willing to work, come and get some work, and then you can come and work in the farm today. I'll pay you at the end of the day. You can go. You can weed. You can do all sorts of things.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, what you find is about two Zimbabweans would be standing on the opposite side of the road, and they would now do the same thing, but they would take 10 jobs away. So they would work. They would do more work for less pay. So the farmers were now picking the Zimbabweans. Now you had young black South African men not going going home without food, going home without money, going home income insecure, poor, struggling, and angry. And their wages couldn't go up because every time new Zimbabweans kept on coming in, their wages were getting diluted and diluted and diluted. It was a stone throw away until they started walking the streets and started beating people to death. Because they got Mm -hmm. tired of their president constantly allowing a border. And they've been talking about this. Now, here's a dirty little secret about walls. The other country that's linked to Zimbabwe is Botswana, the country I grew up in. Mm -hmm. They had a wall. They built a wall. They were building a wall. They built a wall and electrified it. That's how much they were trying to keep people out. No one knows this it got to a point where it worked and they were deporting people violently. I remember when I was young, um, military forces used to come to houses with guns and pick people up and say, that one's not from here. Yank him out and throw him in a truck and then deport him. So they were deporting Zimbabweans um, physically and brutally. Mm-hmm. Um, not this gentle deportation you guys are talking about. I'm talking about rough deportation. Mm-hmm. Okay, where if your housekeeper, you, they would just knock on your door and say, bring your housekeeper or bring your gardener. Okay, what, what nationality are them? Random spot checks. Whether they were checking nationalities of workers at your house to make sure these were not illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody knows this as well. Kenya had the same problem with Somalians, and they were trying to combat the Somali, the rise of Somali um, terrorism that was coming into Kenya. So mm-hmm. Kenya is building a wall. And as much as people think walls are racist, there are three walls in Africa <laughs> between <laughs> countries, between black countries. Is that racist? This is about keeping, this is about keeping undesirable impacts uh, of... of of unfettered immigration out mm-hmm. of your system because you still have citizens you need to take care of. Yes. Before you start going into to your country, you've got to make sure your citizens are taken care of first. Um, and that's where the destabilization people... So you have to look at the wage effect. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the potential crime effect. These are desperate situations where people come in desperately. In Zambia, we have Rwandese uh, refugees, mm-hmm. and we live in peace with them because they come through a structure. And mm-hmm. most of the Rwandese refugees come here to set up a business. They don't compete with us for labor. They mm-hmm. actually set up businesses in small neighborhoods. They set up stores and grocers, and they're very good at neighborhood groceries. So we've managed to live in peace with them mm-hmm. because of that. We had one incident, I think, with them. But generally, we've, we've actually managed to live in very good peace with our Rwandese brothers because they come in a structured format. Mm-hmm. So when people come in structured, it's a bit, it's an easier way and an easier path to deal with. But mm-hmm. when people just start pouring through borders, that's where you get a very dangerous fix So I've seen two countries react mm-hmm. to one, one with brutal violence and the other one with building a wall. Um, and believe you me, the last thing you want is unemployed young people, seeing people pouring into their country, become very anxious mm-hmm. and angry, yeah, mm-hmm. especially unemployed young men. Because it's usually their hard labor work. Because usually um, illegal immigrants will come and take uh, outside labor work, yes. and that's usually young men who will take that work. So mm-hmm. that's why it always leads to violence. You have to be very careful with that. It's any country this happens in, and mm-hmm. there are walls all over the world. People mm-hmm. don't don't get tricked into believing. That that wall is some special wall. There are walls all over the world where people got tired of dealing with illegal immigration.
0: Yes, well, it's better to control the situation because you don't know who you're getting. And right now, uh, the cartels are in charge of the border for the most part. And um, I've been doing some research about uh, human trafficking, and it's hard to to research because it's so painful. Uh, to hear about what's happening to these children. And uh, and even worse, the cartels, they're demanding money from these families, you know, to move these children, sometimes $1,000 or more. And you think, if they're coming from these very impoverished countries, where are they getting the $1,000? Well, I found out some of them, they work it off by prostitution. They sell themselves. And so then their child gets Put God knows where, and sometimes those children are literally auctioned off on the internet as slaves. This is happening in the United States of America and worldwide. It has now, human trafficking has now surpassed the drug trade as far as the amount of money that's in that industry. And that is what's so terrifying because what's happening to these children. I could almost not sit through some of the, the documentaries that I that I watched, but yeah, the their parents have to pay off their debt and it's to get their they think they're sending their kids off to get adopted or some family member when in reality their children are being sold. And not only that, then they are told that they, in order for their children to be safe, they have to prostitute themselves. Sometimes the mothers are shipped into other countries and flown there. Uh, from all over, they're all over the world, and it's uh, a disgusting market, and slavery is alive and well in the United States of America, and nobody wants to admit it, and that's why it's flourishing.
1: So it, this is why I said that um, you need, people need to be careful about being roped into political narratives. This is why media fear-mongering is very important when you're seeing um, when you're seeing the way tactics are done, it's so that you don't see the fact. It's so that you don't sit down and say, what's going on at the border? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I even think I saw, for the first time, I saw, uh, what's his name, Charlemagne, the God, and she stood up and say, guys, okay, what's happening at the border is a bit scary. Okay, we can't just have that many people. And it, even some people are starting to say, okay, what's happening there is, is not normal. They, they, that's way too many people coming in. And you have to understand that, the moment you you set out a satellite, and this is what happened in Zimbabwe, I think the number, if I'm correct, was about 4,000 Zimbabweans crossing the border between South Africa and Zimbabwe every day. Um, And that was literally, and those were the 4,000 that were making it. Mm -hmm. Okay, now remember, these aren't even big countries. Zimbabwe is 12 million people. Um, South Africa is 50 million people. So literally, you almost had about a third of Zimbabwe that just shipped itself into South Africa Mm -hmm. uh, at that point. And you know, what was happening to those people was also tough work someone would hire them to do construction mm-hmm. uh, knowing that they were illegal immigrants and then after they finished doing the work they would call the immigration's office and have them deported so that they could avoid paying them wow. so this is the stuff we we're seeing um they were taking over the, the construction work but then they weren't being paid uh, mm-hmm. at the end they were just literally being deported uh, somebody would drop a tip like the person who's actually hired them would say i think i know that they're illegal immigrants here And then all of a sudden there'd be a sting operation from nowhere. And then he would avoid paying for people who have had to work there for 90 days doing construction work. And then he gets construction for free. So he starved the locals of jobs and then he's paid nothing for labor, literally by just getting them arrested at the end of the day. So this is the kind of situations you can get legal immigrants into
0: um, Mm -hmm.
1: when you just, when when they come in without structure, Mm -hmm. Uh, have them come in through things like education. Have them come in through actual, uh, maybe entrepreneurship programs. Those are the best ways. You can get a lot more of them in. You'll get some refugees, yes, who will need to be relocated, but are structured refugee programs that can be done. Like I gave you the example of these refugees who are, who are brought in with structure and they're even given a stipend by, even the United Nations says, here's some money for you to help start a business so that you're not fighting for labor with the locals. They actually do that specifically. So, when they structure to people coming into a country, it, it kind of puts everyone at ease and you can kind of filter who's coming in and how they're coming in. But when people just rush a border, <laughs> it's literally dangerous um, because you're going to create civil unrest within the country. And for the first time, between Zambians and, and, and South Africans, we finally saw Zambians getting getting beaten in the mix because the, the South Africans were so aggravated with the Zimbabwean influx and the, I think it was Nigerians at one point, mm-hmm. that they still started beating anybody who wasn't South African. You know, it got to that point where, if you're not South they uh, and this is a story that they was told, that they would just come into the streets and ask you what's elbow in Zulu. You mm-hmm. know? And if you didn't say it properly, you were in line for a beating. As in, this was just a group of men could just come up to you and ask questions like that. Yeah. Um, so these were the warnings we were being given. I was a student at that time. Mm-hmm. We were told to not leave some areas because it's dangerous at the moment. Now, no, it wasn't happening everywhere, but there were some hot zones. Right. Where it was getting dangerous.
0: I had a, I had a gardener uh, in Cal when I lived in California, and uh, he was studying for his uh, construction license. And so he was legal and everything, but he told me about what's going on amongst the, the workers. And he was telling me this is years ago. I mean, I've been back home in Texas for since 2013. But before that, he was, t- he told me that, uh, that the, the, the day workers, the ones that people pick up on the sides of the road, you know, uh, that they all demanded that they, they have to accept no less than $10 an hour. Because if anybody accepted less than $10 an hour, they were undercutting everybody else, even though they were all illegal. So if they found out that somebody took a job for less than $10 an hour, the men would beat them up. That was their union, so to speak. They would beat them up themselves because they accepted less money and undercut everybody else. And um, that was, he said that's the norm. They have to take $10 or more or, or else they get beat up.
1: And, and, and you see, even the, the, the irony of the whole illegal immigration thing is that Donald Trump, even as a president, was taking the stance of the Democrat Party in 1992, in fact, 1990 all the way up to 95. The mm-hmm. Democrat Party was against illegal immigration. They were all against it yeah. because they were the party of the working class. Then what happened is they became the party of the rich at one point. And then they've switched because what has happened is that everyone thought the Republican Party was the party of the rich. This has happened, by the way, in the last four years. Um, Since 2015, Donald Trump came in as the working class president uh, because it's the same same Ronald Reagan mentality of the working class president. So he took the hearts of the working class and therefore the Democrats are the more rich. Now, what confuses me, I think, when I watch this election, Mm -hmm. Uh, the last time. And I think watching it from the outside confused me. Is Did nobody notice that the Democrats won by becoming a whiter party? Like they lost black and brown votes and they won more white votes. So they actually expanded their white base, but Mm -hmm. yet they're not the racist ones. And Donald Trump who lost white voters and gained voters of color is the racist one. And this is the problem I have with media, with media, with media, with media manipulation. You have a situation where somebody actually has he had lost he he sacrificed white voters and yeah. got more black voters. Um I think like some numbers I picked up were he he the the male the young the male black vote moved up to twenty percent for him. Mm-hmm. And then the um the women's vote was the one that the black women moved from I think about four hundred thousand to about one point two million um black women uh, moved into don't uh what's it voted for Donald Trump. Right. So he actually had an exponential growth number in that, yes, he's not getting the majority. But the thing is that growth rates are being eaten from the Democrat party. In, sp- in only- spite
0: of the lies told by the, the media, in spite of it, that because we see right through it. We see right through what they're doing. And it's absurd. You, you I, I'm watching uh, CNN, which is not my favorite channel, but CNN. And um you know, there's like four at the, while I was sitting there watching and they were opining about ra- racism in this country, four of the five people sitting there, all millionaires, all talking about you know, how put upon they are for being black. <laughs> it's such a struggle. Yeah, when somebody takes you, picks you up in a limousine, drives you to work, and then your hair is professionally done, and then you get on camera and you, you go, oh, I just, it's so hard being black. I'm like, really? I don't buy it. And that's another thing about the systemic racism thing, because we are actually the system. <laughs> when I've gone, I've gone to help people in court before. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I've helped by you know speaking. And um, I tell you, every time I've gone, I'm, my first thing I notice is, oh, the judge is a woman. Oh, this judge is Chinese. Oh, this judge is black. Oh, I saw maybe one-fifth of the people in the courtroom were white or looked like they were white. And so I'm thinking, so then when you go to college, if the college system is bombarded by, is completely controlled by liberals. So if they're saying the system is, that racism is systemic and we are the system, we are. I mean, we did elect a black president twice. I didn't vote for him, but you know, somebody did. And how can it be so systemic when we are well-represented in the media? Black women are outpacing black men as far as education, receiving degrees. Um, It's not – and then they'll say, well, black people are millionaires at one-tenth the rate of white people. Well, I don't know much about math. Maybe you could help me with that. But aren't we about 13% of the population – 18 plus.
1: It's true. And here's another number to help you. There is no country with more Black millionaires than the United States of America. That's No true. country in the world has more Black millionaires, even by percentage, mm-hmm. than the United States of America. It's the so best it place in the
0: world to be Black, I think.
1: <laughs> I, I, if I, if, in fact, let me give you the full rundown. I actually wrote an article once called, called um, If Black America Was an African Country. Um, and I gave it to you this way, that they would be the number one GDP uh, with $1.5 trillion. Uh, second would be Egypt. Uh, they, would be the, they would be the highest GDP per capita. Uh, They would be the most educated, as I said, they're they're the highest completion of high school, the most college graduates, no, no, no other group has 25% college graduates, like uh, African Americans do, they would have the most millionaires, they would have the most business owners, by any stretch, they would have the second highest life expectancy only second to the Seychelles, only by a year, actually, they would have the second lowest poverty rate second to Mauritius, uh, only by a percent. Uh, so there's no one, there's no other group of black people with a lower poverty rate around the world. Uh, they, they, they uh, if I'm correct, um, they would have the highest household wealth per capita. There would be the most employed population. There would be the utopia of all mm-hmm. African countries. Like there's, there's not a single African country that can come close. Access to healthcare. 80% of African Americans have access to healthcare. You're talking about single digits, uh, low 20% in my country and other countries as well. So the, the 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 benefits that they've managed to accrue, and it's not because white people just handed it to them. It's because between 1865 and eight and 1960, black people worked their butts off when they got their freedom, and what? they literally they became landowners, they became business owners, they thrived. What? The part of American history, nobody nobody talks about 1970. I mean, 1870 to 1960. You go through any of these, maybe in the older times they used to talk about them, but right now. The part of American history, Black American history that keeps getting wiped out further and further is mm-hmm. between uh, Martin Luther King and slavery ending. That's a, it's like there's a gap that nobody studies. Uh, it's like nobody studies that because in there was the time you saw do for self, build mm-hmm. our own, build our own cities, build our own enterprises, build schools. Booker T. Washington died the owner of a school. Born a slave, mm-hmm. died the owner of a school. What a transformation! An actual man born into slavery died the owner of a university. So that's what I mean when I say that's what. He moved to out.
0: Texas because there wasn't a work in Louisiana at the time. He moved to Texas. He drove trucks. He drove taxi cabs. He mopped the floors at the bowling alley. He he would have four jobs. By the time he died, he was the president of a multi-million-dollar credit union bank. Now that is going from nothing to something. So to me, I found I found that uh, I've always been surrounded by black achievers. And so I kind of felt as though everybody was like that. But it turns out everybody wasn't like that, I guess. Hmm. Oh, I think you're frozen. I'm going to continue to record because I can definitely edit out the frozen part. Oh, there you go. Oh, come back. There you are.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I'm back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but my father did that. And, and whenever he achieved something, he kind of started resenting people saying, Oh, well, he's the first black to do this. And then he was the first black to do that. He goes, no, I accomplished something because I worked hard for it. It had nothing to do with the color of my skin. I accomplished this in spite of what the world told me I could achieve. And that is exactly the attitude that I have that he gave to to us and I gave to my children. You can do anything you want to do in this world, you put your mind to it. And don't answer to people who who, who think less of you or don't expect much from you because they don't know who you are. They don't know what good stock you come from because they come from me. (laughs) And I'm good stock. (laughs) I mean, I got my parents, my parents, my parents, I have to say they were awesome. My, my mom's very sick right now. So I'm kind of sad about that, but um, yeah, I was very blessed with the parents. And then, then I look at my whole neighborhood. I grew up in a neighborhood called Pleasantville in Houston and Pleasantville. Most of the parents got those houses. They were brand new at the time with a GI bill for a dollar down payment. My father had been a GI you know, he, he, got it for the down payment. Everybody, when they first moved there, they were working either at a factory or working cleaning houses or something like that. But they worked and worked and worked. By the time I was a teenager, most of the people in my street had become doctors, lawyers, judges, city councilmen, funeral home directors. They all did that. So I never bought into this, we can't do this. Why would I?
1: And what you're, as I say, you have to be, the whole race debate, and that's why I keep saying everyone has to be very careful. It is not really, it's not a natural thing in society for there to be such animosity between races. Um, People generally want to live together. They generally want to be in harmony. It's just that there are people at the top who benefit from the chaos in the masses. And the reason is that you're not going to watch what's happening. Um, and you have to be very, very wary of your country and the history that usually happens right around the time there's usually a culture war.
0: Mm. If you go
1: back to about 1920, the roaring 20s was a time that was, there was lots of cultural animosity. The flappers were coming about. There was this change. In, there was a sexual revolution. There were race revolutions that were happening, all sorts of places. And, you know, the thing that really kicked it off was in the background, there was a lot of looting happening in your financial system. So always go back to this and always realize. So then, yeah, 1929 happened. All of a sudden, the Great Depression kicks in. And then this big depression happens. And everyone just wakes up to the fact that their economy was rotting the whole time. While they were busy having cultural fights, their economy was rotting. Go back to 1960, the hippie revolution hippie revolution was happening all over the place. Everyone was fighting. All these marches and all forwards 1970 happened. A big recession hits America again. You will notice a pattern. Mm-hmm. And every time you see a cultural revolution for about 10 years, there's a recession that follows it. Because usually that cultural revolution acts as a mask that nobody, needs, nobody can see mm-hmm. what's happening behind it. Printing of money. There's all sorts of things happening in the background, remaneuvering of finances, and all of a sudden there's stock trading and, and greed happening in Wall Street, all these things. But because you're too focused on the cultural revolution, you're not paying attention to the, how rich the rich are getting in the background. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when their greed exceeds, you all feel it in a recession. So the worry that you need to be careful of right now mm-hmm. is that the American rich are experiencing some high levels of greed while you're all distracted in the cultural war. Because I can tell you this, when this all breaks down and everything finally exposes itself and, and the financial side of it buckets out and you realize that you're holding on to one of the worst recessions that that's actually coming for uh, you, there are numbers that will scare you, like the number of zombie companies in America. A zombie company is a company that cannot pay its interest rates on its low. One-fifth of American companies right now are zombie companies. It used to only be 2%, but one-fifth of large corporations are zombie companies. They shouldn't even be existing, but they're being kept alive by the Federal Reserve printing money. You're not noticing this because you're all fighting in the middle of the street. And you know what you're going to notice? The liberals and the the conservatives are going to notice that you are not each other's enemies. There's somebody behind trying to push all of this who's your real enemy. And one day you're going to realize that the two of you are going to be fighting side by side next to each other, trying to fight an even greater enemy who is wealth and class. This whole thing, and, that, mm-hmm. and go back to a book called The Sociology of the South okay. by George Fitzhugh who explains this concept that he said slavery is not meant only for the rich. It's yeah. meant even for the, I mean, sorry, only for the blacks. It's meant for the poor whites as well. Oh, they yeah. want to enslave everyone into a, into a bad system. Um, and he, ex- he actually explained that concept and he said the perfect form of slavery. And he said this in 1850 is socialism he actually said those words he said the perfect the perfect form of slavery is socialism it is a way for us to put all under the system of control of class and the aim is to start with the black people and slowly spill it over into mass society and look at it this way welfare started putting black people in socialism and slowly they've indoctrinated young white americans into socialism as well and they're getting them as they're young because what the, the left and liberals, because it's no longer liberals anymore. This is the left. This is not liberals. Liberals have a bit more sane minds than this. Um, and and what, they, what the left basically are doing is they understand that if they can teach a generation their ideology, they can inject it into society forever. And that's where the conservatives are losing the fight. Yes. Never, ever let go of the education system in your country. Never. It is the most dangerous thing to give away. Because once the church, because back in the 1800s and, and early 1900s, most schools were church-based schools. Mm-hmm. So the education was coming from the church. And therefore, conservative values were going to be instilled in the children. What happened in 1965 was the Public School Act basically came in, that, that Education Act that came in in 1965, where the public sector could now take over the education system and infused their ideology into it. And before you know it, socialism was popular.
0: Oh, yes. My children were fine before public school. <laughs> they were fine. They were you know, good citizens, productive. I just, I saw it happening slowly. I saw it happening when I was in college. I, I remember having to fight for, for a grade before uh, because I disagreed with my teacher. And she was obviously, uh, uh, well, I, I was taking a class called Women's Literature. And I wanted to read books written by women. I thought that was what the class would be about. That's what the description looked as though it were. As it turns out, it wasn't uh, about that at all. It was a class uh, all about lesbianism, pretty much. And I wasn't a lesbian. And so but you'd go in there, and, and the way that she would describe the books we were reading, and by the way, most everybody at the end of the books that were chosen for this class killed themselves, at the end of the, because they're just so put upon because they're lesbians and then they end up. Anyways, it was just, it was just shameful. Anyways, so I had to write a, a, a paper, one of my final papers, and I was supposed to compare. Uh, I think it was either Yeats or, it might be Yeats or Keats. Anyways, it was a, a male poet and a female poet. And I said that the reason that he saw the same issue, the poems are about the same thing, was because he was a man and men think differently. And she gave me a D. I'd never made a D in my life, in my life, especially in an English class. And I, I'm thinking, okay, but there's no red marks on here. You know, there's no, she can't say that I didn't, I didn't do it correctly. I validated everything that I said. I had a bibliography, even. I did everything. I took it to another professor. He was a man. And I said, what do you think this paper? He goes, well, at worst, Kathy would be an A minus, at worst. So he said, I suggest you go and talk to your teacher and ask her to tell you why she gave you the D and tell her also that you were going to show a copy of it to your dean. And so I went to her and I said, please explain to me because there's no red marks. You didn't tell me why you gave me such a poor grade. And what she said to me was kind of puzzling. Something like, well, Kathy, it wasn't because he was a man. It's because he wasn't a woman. I'm like, so basically in her mind, either you're a woman or you're not a woman. But there's actually like no such thing as a man. (laughs) You understand? It's exactly. weird. Anyways, so rather than argue with me, she put, put a B-plus on my thing and, and her pad, and I left. But think of all the students who maybe didn't have the wherewithal to go and challenge something like that, uh, pushing that agenda. Uh, I, I just, it was very, very, I think... I'm thinking there's a lot of people who go through a lot of what I went through and that was over 30 years ago. So can you imagine the generation now? Uh, I have two kids in college right now. Um, They're both liberals. They didn't start out that way. (laughs) But the thing of the matter is they are. And, And I just see that the indoctrination started when they were in school. An elementary school, K through 12, and they finished it off in college. And in fact, some of the kids I've talked to said that in the first week of college, that several, more than one, several kids have told me that the professor will say, just so you know, there is no God.
1: Yeah.
0: And start the class that way. So basically everything the parents tell them or taught them, they're going to fight against it. Uh, throughout their lives in, in the administration of the school. And I have friends who have also been the administration and school principals and things like that. And they, the older ones, mama, actually my best friend, she, uh, she chose the curriculum for a school system. And she said there was just not much to choose from. They're all liberal. All the curriculums that they could find were liberal. Now, when you go to a Catholic school, my daughter starts, started in a Catholic school. And in the Catholic school, by the end of kindergarten, one hundred percent of all of the children are reading. We moved. We moved further away, so they didn't have it in nearby Catholic school. I thought, oh, this is this looks like a nice school. I'll put her in there. Then I found out that in public school in California, you're not expected to be at reading level until the end of second grade. The standards are that different. The end of second grade, that is, that's what I'm talking about. And then I see the, the standards are just lower. And not only that, now, they don't even have all the fancy things at the Catholic school. They don't have the extra computers and, and all the things that the, you know, the public school has. It's very small, very simple, but the teachers make more money and they, are, they have higher standards and the kids rise to those standards, all of them. So to me, the whole thing, every time, if you want a a quick applause, if you go to any other program, all you have to do is say, pay teachers more money and the kids will be better students. No, not if they're going to still teach the same way, using the same curriculum. Paying them more money is not going to change a thing. We have to have options. We have to have educational options, not just a one-size-fits-all. Oh, did, did we freeze again? Oh, no. <laughs> there we are. Sorry. So we need educational options. I, I I believe that fervently, especially now what we're seeing with the teachers' unions keeping the schools closed all over the country, while they go on vacation and what. I, I not all over the country, but I mean here in Texas, my granddaughters in full time, five days a week, and they're doing fine. So, but I think the curriculums have to have we have have to have a complete overhaul over curriculums in the school, and I do think we should either have vouchers or just more charter schools, more school options, and and give parents choices.
1: The the best option, I think, for for education uh, to keep it safe um, is to take education back to the is to take education back to churches uh, one of the uh, as as one of the things I actually did want to maybe point out as well which you should keep an eye out on is the minimum wage debate oh. and I think this is one of the things it's 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 the it's one of those doozies that black people are not too sure actually hurts them more than it helps them mm. um, and I, there's there's a lot of evidence even in my country, in any country that minimum wages tend to cause black unemployment spikes Um, They actually do this a lot. And the reason is because black entrepreneurs are usually very small businesses, Mm -hmm. can't afford to pay hiked minimum wages, and usually are left in a situation. And it's usually planned in such a way. And you have to be very careful with the black minimum wage, like I said, or the minimum wage. It tends to hit hard. One of your senators, I think, had a better suggestion where he said, look, put a minimum wage for billion dollar companies. Mm-hmm. Let the billion dollar companies pay the minimum wage and then leave the minimum leave and then leave a blank minimum wage. Even Walter Williams said, put a zero minimum wage for small businesses and then put it for big companies. Mm-hmm. And then let's see how this works out. And let's see if the big companies are going to be in, in support of it. Because right now you'll notice that big companies aren't complaining that much about the minimum wage. They're even raising their minimum wage as signaling with it. Yes. What you're not noticing is that that minimum wage is meant to drive down small businesses And eventually, it will allow those big businesses a lot more negotiating power. Because Mm -hmm. what small businesses do is they take away a lot of the the excess labor. Everyone goes to a big business first when they're looking for a job. And then the small businesses mop up the excess labor, leaving the the labor market starved of people. So there are not that many people to look for. And Mm -hmm. that's why you will see all these help-wanted signs for so many years in America, because of so many small businesses that were thriving and and, and hiring so many people. And you had a weight and you had a a gap of people Mm -hmm. who couldn't they couldn't fill positions. But your big businesses don't like that because the problem with the big businesses, now they can't just fire someone randomly or threaten not to raise their wages because you know what? They can't replace those people. The power comes with the person who can replace. So if there's a lot of business options, then laborers have power. But if there's very few businesses to work in, then it's the employer who has the power. So what the big employers want is to wash it out. Now, how does this affect Black people a lot? Go back to a study Walter Williams did. And it was a shocking number he put in America. He said that in America, 13%, the the unemployment rate among 16-year-old boys in 1950 was 13%. Okay, It was only 13%. One, three were unemployed. Uh, 87% of the young Black men were employed. So guess what was very difficult to start back in the 1950s? Drugs. It was very difficult to start a drug trade with with Black boys who had jobs when they went out, when they they left school. Mm -hmm. So it was highly unlikely. What did they start doing? They started moving the minimum wage up. And with every movement of the minimum wage up, the unemployed population of young black boys between the age of sixteen and seventeen grew until the nineteen eighties, when it got to eighty percent. Sorry, fifty percent. Fifty percent of young black boys were unemployed because small um, black-owned businesses uh, couldn't hire them, mm. and, and they couldn't um, they couldn't give them as much work uh, as they could. Mm-hmm. And what that ended up doing uh, to the to the young black population was now you have Yeah so
0: uh, it's a good thing I record because I can edit out most of the freezing.
1: Yeah so um, so the point I was trying to drive at here is as the unemployment rate for young black boys went up mm-hmm. drug dealing went up. Because who are the who are the who are the the employees of drug dealers? Young black men who are unemployed. Uh-huh. And the same thing that also happened was young black men back in the 50s were the ones who were, were, the, were, the, were, the, were the, when they were working, when they were young, uh-huh. when they when they got older, they understood the value of taking care of a home and they were easier to settle in and say, you know what, if I if I get a girl pregnant or anything, I have to be responsible but, uh, and I'm also able to get a job. Uh-huh. I've proven to myself, but now when they're unemployed, they don't know if they can have jobs. So they're actually, they, they, they tend to run away. From their pregnancies now. So mm-hmm. when you had them employed, there was lower drug trade and there was more marrying people mm-hmm. when you actually were in a relationship. When now you had the young black boys unemployed, there was less marrying people and there was more drug trade. And who do you think organized those minimum wage hikes? The exact same political party they're voting for right now.
0: Mm-hmm. They've
1: been pushing the minimum wage higher and higher Because they know that black businesses cannot afford those minimum wage. Small black businesses, the inner city, um, the the guy who's a laundromat, Mm -hmm. who's the the sole laundromat in the black community, he can't afford that. They can't afford. These small black businesses were struggling. So you have to understand that there's a lot of, it's something I, I call slow poison. They feed slow poison into black communities and they destroy them slowly. Simple things like community banks. How many black community banks are you seeing vanishing? The black community bank in America is disappearing. Yeah. Uh, why? Because when the interest rates are low, bank profits are actually very low. And when you've got low bank profits, the small bank goes out of business. And most of the community black community banks are small banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the black community banks are getting wiped out. Black people are not able to get as many loans as possible because banks usually lend in their proximity. Yes. They lend to the communities they serve. Uh, so that's what that's also what was harming a, a lot of black people from actually pulling themselves out of poverty, being able to bank together, and who again pushed the the interest rates down very low. Once again, you've got Democrats, but in line even with some of the Republicans who did that, like George Bush, and pushed the 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 interest rates really low. But that started under the Clinton era. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of these 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 are the things I like to call slow poison. So I think that. Um, I hope you got that part what I was trying to say that a lot of the policies are harmful to black people, but I think they don't understand how. And it's because they don't understand how. And the unfortunate thing that has also happened is the Democrats have bought off black leaders. Um, they, they've done that systematically, and they use the black leaders to keep the black people in the corrals. It's one thing, it's something that's been used for a long time, um, even in African countries. Black leaders are easily bought off by foreign powers uh, and therefore our people just cling to them. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to, you have to prove to the black community that look, your black leaders are not, are not doing the best for you Two, You shouldn't be afraid to call the Democrats racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the problem is that uh, most of the conservatives don't want to get in their skin in the game and say, hold on, these are racists. They don't think we can have IDs. They they may rummage our places with low, with low, what's it with uh, with bad, with, drugs Mm -hmm. they they basically unemployed most of our youth they've they've arrested them because the very same people who the Clinton crime bill ended up arresting were the very same people put out by the unemployment rate yeah no I I know it's our line as well that's that's the the key Um, but yeah especially when it comes to matters of trying to educate the how to deal with economics and I think maybe just if hopefully the network is friendly. Mm-hmm. The parting word I would say is that most of the conservatives should not be afraid to address things like income inequality. Um, income inequality comes from things like regulation, excessive regulation. Mm-hmm. It's actually it's not it's not the system is rigged. It's actually that the regulations are so hard that black people can't start businesses. Mm-hmm. And when they want to start businesses, it's difficult. Um, and that's why I said, watch Walter Williams' documentary, um, Good it. Intentions. He will... actually outlines how, that docu- how, how the efforts that they're doing in the education system, regulation, and, and various things like that have actually been harmful to mm-hmm. the Black community economically. And he did that in, in 1984. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll actually be able to say, if you can turn around and say, we're not the racist because these guys have been doing this to you. And now, how do you fix income inequality? Donald Trump was doing it by trying to push entrepreneurship, black entrepreneurship, economic zones, economic opportunities. Those things were actually targeting things that were working. This is why even Van Jones came out and said, oh, hold on, this guy's actually hitting a button here. Even Charlemagne the God said, I actually understand why young black men have grown to Donald Trump, because the messaging he was pushing was yeah. hitting at them very hardly. Uh, and even the school choice one polled a lot of, a lot of Black mothers who said, hold on, you, uh, we want school choice. Black mothers, 72% of them want school choice. Who we'll fight school choice? The Democrats and the, lay, and the, and the teachers' unions. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's about packaging the conservative message to meet the Black problems, which is poverty. Trying to meet the Black problems, which is poverty. Trying to meet the Black problems is inequality. If you have a lot more entrepreneurs, you'll have a lot less inequality between black and white. And you know who proved that? The Mm Asian-Americans. The Asian-Americans were the number one proof of how entrepreneurship can clear that out.
0: Well, they have, I don't know about right now, but back in the 80s, I worked for uh, a a news station in Houston. And I did a report on uh, Asian-American family and how they pulled their, their resources together to buy a store. And they literally took the jobs of picking up trash on the sides of the freeway and pooled their money together to get their first store. Now, I don't know many Black families who would share a bank account. And I think that is something that's different about uh, entrepreneurial uh, immigration, legal immigration. That's something we should learn from. Uh, That's been my experience. And the the program that I that I produced it was a lot of interviewing and uh, I learned so much from this family and I the the mother the old the oldest person in the family she was in charge of the bank account everybody would pull their uh, income together and she would make sure the whole family had food and clothing and they had a savings system. And they saved their money, and they bought their first store. Everybody worked there. Some still worked uh, in menial labor. Uh, but then they would go and pool their money and get the second store, and so on and so on. And I think having family breakdown is really what's uh, contributed to Black policy.
1: Okay, so yeah, I think um, it's not at that point where it's literally
0: on and off now. I know, but you know, how about next Wednesday? We could start earlier if you'd like.
1: Yeah, I'd have no problem with that.
0: Oh, that'd be wonderful. I sure appreciate you coming today. I'm going to see if I can piece together some enough for a show. I think I had got enough and um, I just piece it together and I have some other things I have to add, like about Joe Biden and stuff like that oh my gosh, there's so much going on. And I'm doing this research on the trafficking, which is really depressing. I'm, it's depressing. But what I'm learning is I had no idea people thought like that. I had no idea. And a friend of mine told me a little bit about it. And I'm like, oh, well, I just had, uh, I didn't know either was that evil.
1: It is, it is. It can, it can have an ugly face to it, trust me.
0: Yeah, and, but it needs to be talked about because, I mean, it, it's swept under the rug. It's, it's one of the main things being swept under the rug about the illegal immigration surge that we're having right now. And slavery, slavery in this country, that is an issue. So for all the talk of reparations for some slavery from 200 years ago, they better start saving up for some reparations for all these babies coming here and getting hurt. Some of them get killed. They have ways of changing their identities even. They change their identity so that that once they kill them, there will be nobody to look for them.
1: And it's it's really unfortunate. Um, and even we even had the problem where we saw a live slave auction in Libya. Uh, I think a few years ago, mm. uh, recently. So these things are real; they're alive. And the, the current ones are being overlooked because we're trying to people are trying to have grievance about past ones. Mm.
0: Well, we don't need to worry about today. I think there's nothing can do to change the past, but we can surely change today and tomorrow. That we can. Well, God bless you. I appreciate you being on the show. I'll send you a link for next Wednesday. Let's see, today, I'm going to try for earlier. Maybe it won't be as, as congested and we can have a, a, a good show. How about that?
1: Yeah.
0: I'd love uh, it.
1: Yeah. Uh, it so- perfect for me.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much. I was thinking, do I need to go back to college? I go, no, I'll just hang out with him. (laughs)
1: Thanks a lot. Yeah, I'll be more than glad to come
0: back. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Okay. Have a
1: good evening.
0: God bless you, too. Bye-bye. Listening to Cathy'sWright.com. Make sure that you subscribe and hit that notification bell. It really helps out. God bless you. God bless America. Bye.